0: You know, I, I have had people ask me if you could go back and, you know, the truck accident not happen and, you know, this event not happened or whatever, you know, would you go back so that you could go back to that perfect white picket fence life? And um, my answer is absolutely not. Like, absolutely not. I, my life now, my view of the world, my view of people and relationships and God, all of that is much more real. Uh, not surface level, not, um, you know, just tinkering in it a little bit. It's just, it's much deeper and more real and who I am. Like I get to fully step into who I am when, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I honestly, I thought I knew who I was, but I really didn't. I had so many layers of armor and protection and stuff on me um, that just prevented me from really being able to fully engage with the world.
1: I believe that what we do as women in the privacy of our own minds is the single greatest determinant of our lives. I'm Emma Title and you are listening to the Women Today podcast, where we are unpacking and investigating the new female psychology. I am a psychotherapist, coach, and teacher who is passionate about women's internal and external freedoms. You are in the right place if you wanna hear in-depth stories about women's lives. On this show, we dig deep into the minds and hearts of women to understand what it really takes to heal, to grow, and to experience psychological freedom so that we can create lives of authenticity, fulfillment, and contribution. This is a place to receive nourishment, Inspiration and guidance as we continue to show up for the complexity and nuance of our lives as women. I'm so glad that you're here and let's get started with today's episode. Hi, and welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the podcast. I am really excited to be sharing today's interview with you because today's guest is somebody who is the epitome of brave, the epitome of courage, and the candor and authenticity with which she talks about her journey in her life to date is inspiring and uplifting. Holly Boulard has her doctorate in education. She's a mother. She's an educator. She's an LGBTQ advocate, and she is a people lover. As you'll hear about in our conversation today, Holly came out as gay later in her life, and she traded what she refers to as her perfect white picket fence life for one of more authenticity, which required an enormous amount of risk-taking and bravery. She left her conservative Christian community in West Texas, which was her whole world, And she spent almost a decade coming to terms with her sexuality and reconciling that with the faith that was foundational to her identity. Holly is currently writing a memoir about her experience. I can't wait for that to be finished and in our hands. And she co-parents her two children who are in their adolescence with her ex-husband. Holly currently teaches as an assistant professor of education at Tarleton State University and she lives in the Dallas, Texas area. This conversation is powerful. It's heartwarming. It's heartbreaking. And it is inspiring for all of us who are listening to really be willing to take those brave steps, those major risks, to be who we are in our deepest truth, even if that means facing loss and fear and having to really come up against the beliefs or the more normative structures that might be around us, whether that's in religious communities or institutional structures in our family culture or anywhere else. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Welcome, Holly. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, I'm so glad to be here. I'm so honored and excited to have you sharing your voice and your stories with our audience today. And I'm wondering before we dive in, if you could just give us a little snapshot into your world and what it looks and feels like right now.
0: So right now, uh, I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas, and I teach at Tarleton State University in the College of Education. And I am just out of a long-term relationship uh, with a woman, but I'm um, enjoying being single and um, just diving in a little bit more into getting to know myself better and doing things that I just really enjoy.
1: Wonderful. Well, I know you have such a rich journey to share with us today. And I'm wondering if you can take us back to when you were a girl growing up and kind of the context that you were born into and what you understand about your early life as it relates to the journey you've been on.
0: Yes, absolutely. So I was born in a small conservative uh, Christian town in West Texas. So um, very Republican, very conservative Christian, my upbringing, I had an older sister and a younger brother and very kind of chaotic, dysfunctional uh, childhood where my grandparents who lived close to us um, did a lot of helping to raise us. We actually lived with them for a while and they were really pivotal individuals in helping me become who I am. and you know how i see life my faith my faith is um was really something that came from my connection with them because it was central to their who they were um my sister and brother were much more um feisty rebellious uh, kiddos and i was the the quiet um i don't want to say the quiet perfect little child but i was you know the one that you know my parents just had to give me a look And if I was in trouble or doing something wrong and I would stop. And so was very much the people pleaser, making sure that I kept everyone happy around me. I would just kind of read uh, how I learned very early to read people's reactions. And I even now think of myself um, and I'm coming out of this still that people pleasing part being kind of a chameleon and changing to fit my surroundings. And so I think that played a huge part in me not really recognizing who I was as an individual, because I was too busy trying to be what I needed to be to, um, fit in and, and allow other people to be comfortable and happy. Um, so my, um, my sister moved out when she was 16, which uh, then kind of reinforced that whole idea that I needed to make sure that I uh, kept the peace and did what I needed to do to keep my parents happy and okay and um, straight A student. I studied, I didn't, I didn't get into any trouble, like I didn't drink, I didn't do drugs, I didn't, I mean like none of that, but I did, you know, do the things that, you know, like I said, the good Christian Southern girl is supposed to do. So went to college right after high school and met um who is now my ex-husband, Ryan. And we got married, had our um two sweet babies, Katie and Riley, um, who are now 16 and 17. And at that point I was teaching in a university. I started out teaching in the public school system. And then got my doctorate degree in special education, started teaching at a private university in West Texas that was very conservative and really built up my, what I call my perfect um, white picket fence life. So I had the great husband, I had the amazing kids, the great job, the great house, the like, I had all of the things, um. Very active in our church, um, had a great social life. Um, loved my job. Loved my students. Um, really, ha- I, I loved my life. It was really great. And I created all of those things as a way to insulate myself and my family from the chaos and dysfunction that happens in the world that I grew up with. It was my way to um, create boundaries and and um, walls to to keep. That stuff out, yes. and so um, it it's taken me a long time to realize that that's what I did, um, and that that was uh, a wall that not only was I trying to protect my family, but really I was also trying to to protect myself because growing up, all of that, all of the arguing and the the kind of the dysfunction was very painful, and so if I could could keep that out,
1: then it was a protection mechanism for me. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And I really appreciate your awareness around that, (laughs) that yes, you built something beautiful and aware that part of the motivation was coming out of your own trauma and, you know, not wanting to recreate all those experiences again.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, and I didn't realize that's what, I mean, during that time I did, I had no idea that that's what I was doing. I was just again, creating the kind of life that I was taught is what I should want to create and what I'm supposed to create. And, um, when I was, you know, married, um, I had an amazing husband and I loved being married, loved being a mom, loved being, uh, um, a professor I really. I mean, there wasn't anything that I didn't just love about my life, uh, during that time.
1: You have me on the edge of my seat. Cause I'm like, I know, <laughs> I know something else happens here. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing to hear you process in that way. Like you were, you were genuinely happy. You were, you had all these things going for you. You'd worked hard to create a world that was more stable, more satisfying for you than your childhood. And, and then what happened?
0: So in 2009, a series of events happened that really, um, rocked the very foundation of the life that I had built, the life that I knew was mine. And so in 2000, in August of 2009, a Ford F-150, uh, actually, I think it was an F-350, not that that matters, but huge Ford pickup truck um, crashed through my daughter's bedroom at 9.30 at night uh, while she was sleeping and the scariest night of my life. Oh my um, yeah. Ryan and I were watching TV and, you know, the entire house shook. It was like a, like a bomb, like went off. And initially I thought my son, um, had climbed up on a dresser cause he was just a little monkey. Um, he was five, Katie was six and I thought maybe he had pulled it over on him. So I, that was my initial reaction. But when we ran to the hallway, we were hit in the face with all of the dust and debris, um, from, you know, this this truck coming into the bedroom and the truck was sitting in the middle where my daughter's bed used to be in the middle of her bedroom. She was, yeah. Um, so scary. She was thrown across the room. Uh, she was completely fine. I'll, I'll, to, to take some of the edge off. (laughs) She was fine. My son was fine. The driver was fine. He was not drunk or anything, just a young impatient driver who lost control and, you know, came crashing through the, the bedroom. And so that was a huge pivotal moment where, um, I realized, um, well, after that, the anxiety, not sleeping at night, loud noises, all of that just, um, completely unsettled me. So I started counseling for the first time and through that process realized how much not only was this a literal destruction of this safety that I created for myself and my family. It was also, um, what became like the, the figurative undoing of my foundation. So that happened in August. And then, um, I also, uh, during this time met a woman who, um, I felt this undeniable attract, I wouldn't say attraction connection too. I just I wanted to be in her presence. I couldn't like figure out what what that was. And it just really threw me off. And so I was trying to figure that out. I was trying to process all of the trauma from the truck accident. Then I spent a week in North Carolina going through a women's leadership conference where through a series of all kinds of assessments, I began to see some of the things that that um, about myself that I hadn't known that, um, the way other people see me and the way I see myself. And it was really this huge discrepancy. Uh, they put me up here and I put myself way down here. And so I was constantly working, trying to, um, gain approval. I was trying to, to earn like love and, you know, the kinds of things that, you know, we do because, you know, life and yes. <laughs> we're people and um, human humanness. Yes, yes <laughs> yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, and then, uh, my grandmother who I was very, very, very close to, who was like just a solid, um, rock in my life passed away unexpectedly in December of that year. And so those series of events just, um, completely knocked me off of, any kind of solid foundation I had created. And it also began to, um, through therapy, uh, I I began to realize how much I needed to, how much I had been creating this facade of um, a way for people to see me and for me to interact with the world in a way that was safe and okay and acceptable and lovable and, um, that I, I needed to start taking those, those down. Um, it was during this time too, that I, I realized I wouldn't, I always let people see the joy and the happiness, but I didn't even let my husband see, or at the time, my ex-husband now see the, the trauma and the strife that was created through all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that,
1: oh my goodness, just huge learning. Yeah. Um, it it yeah. sounds like such an incredibly challenging and rich time that, that all of that kind of came down on you at once. And, you know, I think of the, the euphemism when it rains, it pours, like life was just not letting up on you. Something was just needing to get your attention.
0: Mm -hmm. And that's really kind of how I see it looking back. Um, you know, if any one of those things had happened without all of the other things, my life, I think would be very different right now. Um, but because they all happened in such close proximity in terms of time, you know, to one another, there was no way for me to not really fully begin to explore and deal with all of that, which also meant I had to deal with all of the trauma and childhood yuck yes. <laughs> that I hadn't, that I thought I had, I was past and had dealt with because I had created this beautiful life. Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: Tell me about the loss of your grandmother. I hear that she was such an important part of your upbringing and a solid rock for you. And I feel like when when we lose loved ones, there's a lot in that, you know, it's not only the human being, but it's also everything that that per- person stood for or symbolized. And I'm just absolutely. curious who she was in your psyche.
0: Yes, absolutely. So my grandmother was... Um, you know, she and my grandfather were pivotal in, uh, helping me develop and foster my faith and, uh, grew up Southern Baptist and would go to church, um, every Sunday with them, um, I oftentimes was the only one in my like nuclear family that would go with him, but I would always go and sit with them. And my grandmother and I would read the Bible together. And it was, uh, through my grandparents that I learned how to pray and how to, you know, have faith and believe in all of those things. And so, um, she was also the one that I would turn to when, you know, anything, when I applied for a new job, like when I applied for my position at the university from teaching first grade, you know, she was the one that was my encouragement, my support, uh, all of that. And, and just anything that life kind of threw my way, my grandparents were the ones that I would turn to, to, to give me, uh, kind of that external support that I needed. And they were the, it was the place that I could go to, to get away from life's chaos. If, you know, things were going on. And so when she passed away, uh, my grandfather had passed away too, uh, almost three years prior to that. And that was very, very hard as well. Um, and as a Christian, I was taught, you know, Oh, and you know, when a, a, family member dies and they're a Christian, they're going to heaven. And yes, it's sad, but, um, you know, they're in a better place and all of this, um, kind of just glossing over the, the grief and the loss that you feel, And so I truly wasn't prepared for the impact that losing someone so, so tied to my identity, my being, my just life support system, um, the impact that that would have on me. And losing her really just, oh my goodness, the grief, the grief has just been uh, so deep and expansive and has taken a long time you know, has, has really just taken its, it took its toll during that time. I didn't have that place to go to and to talk through things and to figure out. And it was during this time too, that I was, um, you know, having these feelings for this woman that, um, really just added another layer of complexity onto what I was dealing with. And so, I didn't have her. I knew I wasn't sure what she would say. And, you know, I was brought up to believe that being gay was wrong. And so having a relationship of any kind with uh, someone of the same sex was just not even on the table, like as, as a possibility. And so it was that in the truck accident. And every, I, I just didn't have that sounding board, that person to get that wisdom Mm -hmm. that I so desperately wanted and needed to kind of help validate this process and struggle that I was going through.
1: Yeah. So tell us where life took you from there. You know, I hear the shattering and how it just kind of moved across all with grief and loss, the terrifying trauma of thank goodness your children were okay, but the truck entering your home and this workshop, like where, where did all of this, propel you to go.
0: So um I was forced to begin to really dig in and figure out who I who I truly am at the core level. Um initially I thought this um you know connection with this woman that it's it was just uh it it was just this person like for whatever reason we just really clicked and I couldn't believe that I was gay because I was happy in my marriage. I never had any idea that there was that, that um, I had any other desire other than a heterosexual one. And of course, then there was the faith piece of it that, you know, I had to reconcile my faith with how I was feeling in this connection. And eventually um, the connection did lead to having an affair uh, with a woman. And that again, just, it just propelled me into this space of questioning. Okay. So what, what is real? What, what is, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for my faith? What does this mean for my relationship, my work, my church life? Because this one piece, um, well, I should say two having an affair and it being with a woman. Yes. Were two things that would absolutely rip apart every single part of my life. Um, you know, teaching at a conservative Christian university, um, having an affair alone is a fireable offense. But having wow, really, yeah, oh, oh, yes, wow. Yes. okay, yes, yeah, and then of course with a woman, that was like. For for students, it's a tier three violation. You know, if there's anything where you're kicked out, you lose your scholarships, everything. So for a faculty member to have a relationship with a woman was
1: um, just unfathomable. So I'm just sitting with the courage and the upheaval that you must have been in being in these communities and, you know, knowing that these are punishable offenses and yet discovering that they're, core to the truth of who you are. Like that is such a profound spot that you found yourself in.
0: Yes. And so just unraveling to me. I mean, it just, I had to, I tried for a really long time to deny it, to say, no, again, like I mentioned before, it's just this woman. Like I'm not gay. I'm happy in my marriage. Like this is just some weird crazy situation. Um, and so I tried to go that route until I could no longer go that direction because the more I allowed myself to step into that space of being with a woman, the more my eyes were open to how this took me to a level of connection and, um, authenticity inside, which I wouldn't have called it that at the time, but a a fully being me that I couldn't deny it anymore. And to be in a community um at church, at uh you know, at work, my social circles were all related to church and my work community, which is all was all faith-based and and a a particular was conservative Church of Christ groups. This was absolutely not okay in yeah. any, in any form or fashion. I mean, yes. this was something that, you know, I mean, it, it could potentially get you kicked out of your church, obviously lose your job, lose your, you know, your family. Um, and then in, in conservative West Texas, you know, if there was a divorce and this was put on the table, losing your kids because wow, it, it's exposing ki- your kids to this, um, unholy, um Heathen lifestyle that is incredibly detrimental to their development and upbringing, so it really was the the undoing of
1: everything
0: everything, everything, so I lived in fear for a very long time wow. and I tried you know that internal battle of I, I tried to end the relationship, I tried to do those things, and um, I was still just i was from that point i couldn 't deny this
1: attraction to women. Yeah. Yeah. I have chills. I just need to tell you. I mean, chills and tears and awe really about what you, thank you for breaking it down for me and for the listeners of like literally how this one piece threatened every single aspect of your reality. That is is so brave that you were willing to stay in that with yourself, given how much was on the table.
0: Well, I can't say that it was an easy process by any means. And um, it has taken me years to even get to a point where I, um, well, I even recently had a moment where I was like, oh my gosh, Holly, you totally effed up your entire life you had the perfect life and you completely messed it all up. You had just, you should have just left the woman and stayed with Ryan and kept your job that you loved with the students that you loved and, you know, kept your family intact and all of that. Um, granted it took me, um, much, it didn't take me much time this time around to go, okay, no, Holly, that's ridiculous. You couldn't do that. You would have been so unhappy. Um, but for years, I I, I wrestled with that, um, with the decisions that I made to um, continue that path of stepping into my true identity.
1: Yeah. How do you take us into those moments in your inner dialogue, your inner life? Like, how do you talk to yourself, or what what tools? Like, who helped you? Or what helped you as you were in this journey, and then what helps you now to not go down that rabbit hole?
0: Yes, and you know, this is the part that I think is um, so interesting. And I haven't fully been able to like pinpoint or articulate or write exactly how all of this kind of comes together. I'm working on that, but. I honestly think one of the major things that allowed me to step into this part of myself, knowing that I was going to really shatter the, like truly shatter every piece of the facade and the, um, the protection that I had created for myself and the way that people see me was really through my grandparents and my grandmother in particular. Um, and, and this has been part of the journey in itself is trying to figure out and trying to reconcile how I think the human part of my grandmother um, and her faith would have helped me work through this versus um, the, the spiritual part of my grandmother that I try to connect to now that has helped me work through this. If my grandmother hadn't, passed away. And granted, I would have loved to have had her on this earth so much longer, but had she not passed away, my fear of disappointing her might truly have kept me from stepping forward. So her physical being here and my fear of her reaction and her telling me that, you know, being gay and being in a relationship with a woman was wrong. Um, but then also all the lessons she taught me as a child to embrace who I am, who the person that God created me to be, um, even if that's not what other people understand or um, appreciate or, or you know, agree with, that I can't deny that existence um, and that um, divine creation in myself from God. and. Mm-hmm that that matters more than the way that humans, um, other people see me. And so it's, it's interesting that the, to me, the, the person that I think had she not passed away at that time, um, might've in my own mind kept me from stepping forward because I would never want to disappoint her or, or if I heard her tell me that, you know, being gay was not okay, like I would have really listened and taken that in and may may not have even, you know, uh, explored this part of my identity. And yet it was the very upbringing and the lessons that she taught me as a child about who I am as a child of God that allowed me to also fully step into what is now
1: my reality. Yeah. Gosh, I feel so touched by this piece. And I want to kind of pull it out and highlight it for listeners, Holly, because I feel the paradox there, you know, that in in the living form, in some ways, your grandmother and the faith and the faith that she stood for would, and the terror of disappointing her would have been the, another reason for you not to listen on a deeper level okay. to yourself. And yet in the non-living form, It sounds like in many ways, she's been one of your greatest allies. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Yes. Like
0: I have chills just now thinking about, I know that in the non-living form, my grandmother sees who I am at my core and loves and accepts every part of me and is with me and has been with me as I've walked through this really, really difficult journey the last Ten to twelve years of my life of, of actually coming out and leaving um, my marriage and entering into relationships, um, open and you know, fulfilling long term relationships with women.
1: I, I'm so in awe of you, Holly, and I really just want to give you such major props for your capacity to like. Not everybody would be able to hold those seemingly paradoxical realities. Like it would be like, okay, I have to like completely excommunicate myself from my faith because it's damaged me or excommunicate myself from my grandmother because she wouldn't have approved of this in the living form or she would have been disappointed. And, And that you've been able to not do that, to not compartmentalize or like siphon things off, but actually hold this really broad perspective. It's amazing. taken a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah, I can I can tell how much work you've done.
0: Yeah, it um it definitely, you know, my faith is still very central to my identity. Yeah. And so a huge part of this journey has been reconciling the faith that I grew up with with the faith that I have now and you know figuring out how does this new identity fit into that. And, you know, what does this mean for my faith? And, and it's definitely been a difficult, um, a difficult journey, but I also think it has brought me to a place of, um, being much more loving and compassionate and forgiving, um, and recognize, recognizing the, the role that faith plays in people's lives, especially when it is something that, that's much more narrow. Um, my faith used to be really narrow and that's, it it was one of the pieces I used to protect myself. Mm. And so, um, being able to open it up is scary in a way. Um, but it's also
1: very freeing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I feel you. And what, what a more liberated place that you've come to. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Tell us about your relationships with your ex-husband and your children. Cause I am just imagining that has been an enormous journey over the last 10 years. Yes, absolutely.
0: So, um, when my children were born, um, like I always knew I wanted to be a mom. And so, Uh, they are the loves of my life. They are just um, my joy and um, I adore them. I was always worried once I had kids that I would have a relationship with them like I had with my parents, which was not good, especially with my mother. And so that was something I always really worried about even though i worked i was the primary caregiver for them um my ex-husband was in the medical field and so he worked long hours and um was often on call or you know away working and so i was i was there you know and being in a university allowed me lots of fle- a lot of flexibility to leave take you know doctors appointments and school plays and you know that kind of thing and so as all of this was kind of happening. I, um, I still being a mom is, you know, central is it's another central piece to my identity. Um, when I finally decided that I could no longer ignore all of this, uh, the feelings that I was having, um, for women and this recognition that, okay, I, I'm not, I don't know that I'm gay, but I obviously am not completely straight. So I don't know what this is. And, Mm -hmm. and I tried really hard to make my marriage work because my ex-husband was a fantastic husband, a, a fantastic dad. Um, you know, all of that. I loved being married to him. Um, but I also began to realize, um, after couples therapy and trying really hard to, uh, put this attraction and the, this affair aside, I realized I couldn't be the wife that he deserved. Um, and so we separated and I moved out with the kids and we lived together. Um, the kids and I lived together for a year before in terms of a a separated state from our marriage. Um, until I decided to go back to grad school to get a dual master's in women's studies and gender studies and theology. Um, and this was my, (laughs) this is my like, well, I'm a forever student for one thing, but, um, I'm right there with you. (laughs) I had all these pieces I was trying to juggle and, um, my identity and my faith was such a huge piece of that. Um, and so I wanted to go, okay, I need to, I need to figure out more about, um, the LGBTQ, you know, life. And, but I also need to know how this is going to fit into, um, my own personal faith, my theology, my, my understanding of God. And so this was going to be the perfect way for me to bring those two things together. I wanted my faith to be challenged. I mean, not that it wasn't being challenged enough, but (laughs) I really, really wanted it. I, I wanted to be forced to have to dig in
1: even deeper. Um, and so Can I, 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 I just have to pause you again. Yes, I, no, that's okay. That's because, because seriously, just to celebrate you and also the listeners, this is gorgeous that you actually were saying to life, bring on, I want to go deeper. I want, I want to know more. I want my perception of reality to be challenged That is such a brave, rare, and I think growthful. It's that's the growth mindset and that you were willing, no matter how much your world is being upended to say like, I want my faith to be challenged. It's inspiring. And I just want to encourage people who are listening to see where in in your own life, maybe you could ask, where do I want to invite a deeper, richer, more challenging state for the sake of learning and growth and fulfillment and knowing oneself?
0: Yeah, I mean, that, um, yeah, that was, um, I don't think I really understood exactly what I was gonna be getting myself into. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but it has been, um, you know, I, I have had people ask me if you could go back and, you know, the truck accident not happen and, you know, this event not happen or whatever, you know, would you go back so that you could go back to that perfect white picket fence life? And um, my answer is, Absolutely not. Like, absolutely not. I, my life now, my view of the world, my view of people and relationships and God, all of that is much more real. Uh, Not surface level, not, um, you know, just tinkering in it a little bit. It's just, it's much deeper and more real. And who I am. Like, I get to fully step into who I am when. You know, 10, 15 years ago, I honestly I thought I knew who I was, but I really didn't. I had so many layers of armor and protection and stuff on me um, that just prevented me from really being able to fully engage with the world.
1: Yes. Uh, So beautiful. So 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 hard but so good. (laughs) So hard, but so good. Such a gift. So what how can you capture like what is what does your faith look feel smell taste touch like today, having invited the challenge, having gone deep, having done the messy hard work?
0: Yes, so um it's still it's a constant process and journey like it's it's one thing that I continually am you know looking at and and um digging in deeper. I was really, really hurt. By you know the church the church body that was well, it had been uh, another support system for me as an adult, the church family that uh, my ex-husband and I were part of, uh, my social life and friends came out of that space, um, my work came out of that space, and so um, it was it was really devastating to me to to walk into a church knowing I had this internal conflict of and and struggle who I am versus who they think I am now or who I they they see the old Holly I and I know I'm going through this transformation and I can't I can't talk about it there that's the place that you should be able to bring all of life's struggles and questions. And, and I couldn't do that anymore. And, uh, and we actually had a group of, of people who you really could dig in deeper than any other place, but there was still a, there was a boundary and you couldn't go past that.
1: When it came to non-heterosexual identity.
0: Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. It was, um, I was so fearful of someone finding out or, Seeing inside, I spent so many church services with just tears because I knew I was holding this thing in. Whereas in all of my experiences before in church, I was able to just, well, the Holly then really, what I was like opening myself up to being vulnerable to God and to people seeing me. And yet now I have this part that I can't, like, I have to hold back. And so people don't get to see, they get this fake. Version, which is so often what you see in church, because it's this idea that um, oh my goodness, this was a huge, a huge eye-opener for me that if and and a struggle that I had I had to face, that if your relationship with God is good, then your life is gonna be good. Things are gonna be good. So if you have something happen in your life, um, a divorce, a loss, uh, you know, whatever, there's some sin in your life that you need to face and you need to get yourself right with God. And so as I was going through this struggle with my identity and the struggle in my marriage and, uh, when I moved to Chicago to work on the dual masters and my kids were in Lubbock. And so then it's this question of, Oh my gosh, Holly's abandoning her role as mom and you know going going away and um and so obviously her her life of faith her connection to god she's like there's some major sin in her life that she needs to face and um and so that judgment that external judgment um and uh it it was so painful it was just it was so painful and so i eventually ended up um not, I, I just stopped going to church. Um, I stopped having that. Um, I knew that God was there. I knew that I couldn't not believe. And when I prayed by myself or when I had those connections by myself, I could feel it, but I couldn't feel it within a church body. Mm-hmm. And so there was this huge disconnect between, okay, so what does this mean when this church body and my life in the church has been such a a pivotal piece in my faith, if this isn't authentic and real, and it's more painful than anything versus being by myself and being with God by myself and focusing on, you know, that connection alone, where I do feel that authentic connection and that ability to actually lay myself bare and just be vulnerable when we're told you know you you need the church body that's you know we're supposed to worship and you, you have to come together it's more meaningful it's what we're called to do and yet that's where i felt the disconnect from god and the connection when i was alone and so it's like being in the desert you know and your everything that you knew that was your support is no longer there but you still have to figure out how to survive and I spent a long time in the desert.
1: <laughs> yeah, I have chills, Holly, really. I mean, just the image of you imagining yourself on the road to discovering that direct relationship. Yeah. As opposed to the interrupted, obscured, you know, like we're talking about how as humans, we just do some damage <laughs> to some things that <laughs> that didn't need any augmentation, you know? Yes. And, that, and I think that's why... You know, I, I have a, sh- a shared belief, like, I do think we set something free when we die because we're not, in, like, trapped by all these human Absolutely. things. And so just imagining you, again, that bravery is the word that keeps coming to me, that you were willing to set out on your own path to unpack and discover that direct relationship, even though there's so much conditioning that that you can't do it alone, that you can't do it without the church, that you can't do it without these mm-hmm. people in between.
0: Yeah, it, um, it's been really hard and, and I still, every time for years, every time I entered a church building, I, and went to a service and it it was, it was always on my own terms, like, and with people or a church community that I knew would be accepting of me, um, and who I am just when I would enter that, that space and knew it was going to be okay for me to be there the tears just flow. Like I would cry through the entire service, um, just because it was so, um, I don't just that being able to have that deep connection because the church does mean so much to me. I mean, it's, um, Oh, I just, it's hard for me to even articulate like Mm -hmm. the, the emotional piece that would go into that. And, um, yeah, I I did um, more recently realize that part of the, um, the disconnect that I felt was my own judgment of myself. Yes. And even after all these years of being out and, you know, of internalized kind of homophobia, I guess, yes. and um, thinking that, okay, when I'm in this church community that I know isn't going to be accepting or I think is not going to be accepting and I feel like I don't fit in and I I had never ever felt that way in church um prior to all of this happening and so and then to fully come accept myself as a gay person and then go into an environment that I actually chose to go into where I knew it was going to be I didn't even actually if I thought about it I probably wouldn't have gone but I didn't I went before I even thought about it, about the whatever. But when I got into that space and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't belong here. I don't, I don't, I shouldn't be here. And the more my, again, my own, my own conversations with God, my own studying and, you know, whatever brought out, God was revealing to me, you absolutely fit in here. And it's you that is creating part of this barrier And yes, they may not agree with you and they may tell you that it's wrong or whatever, but, um, they don't, they don't know that part about you. So it's, it's you feeling that and making the, and anyway, that was just a huge revelation of seeing still after all this time, that internalized, um, judgment of myself. Totally.
1: It's, it's powerful. And in my work, this is something I deal with a lot is, there's the world and what the world puts down on us, whether it's through institution or family or culture mm-hmm. or whatever it might be, experience. But then there's how those things continue to live on and we perpetuate them upon ourselves. Yes. And so that's so much of the, the liberation work is is, you know, perhaps not exposing ourselves to it again in the world, but also not perpetuating it inside ourselves. Yes. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. So, um, I spent, well, I started when I went to Chicago and lived there and Brian, um, the kids moved back in with him, um, to get back onto this little piece of, of my journey. Yes. I was thinking about that with the kids and your ex-husband. Yeah. 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 Um, I flew back and forth. I said, I, I used to kind of joke around and say I was commuting between, um, Lubbock and, and, Chicago, um, because I would fly back and forth, um, three, four times a month for, oh my goodness, the thousands of dollars. And, and I think I kept Southwest afloat, um, <laughs> in some small ways. So, um, but I would fly back and forth, uh, because I've never been away from the kids like this. And I was, now I was having to examine my identity again, in terms of, um, not only uh figuring out the my sexuality but also as a mom who am i if i'm not the mom that is there raising the kids in a very physical like in person way and so i compensated by you know flying back and forth and um i ended up staying in chicago for about 4 years during that time um I really had to, um, revise my definition of what it means to be a mom and because I, I maintained a solid relationship with my kids and that was so important to me. Um, I talked to them, I FaceTime, thank God for for FaceTime. And, um, so lots of FaceTime, lots of, uh, traveling back and forth. But it definitely wasn't the picture of what I was taught was supposed to be the mom picture, and I even I had people in my, um, my old circles in Lubbock who spoke very negatively about me and my choice to go away to go to school. And I thought, you know, um, if it had been Ryan that chose to go away to further his education, and, and I stayed home with the kids that would have been acceptable. But because it was me, the woman, the mom, the, the wife that's doing this, I had abandoned my family. I'd abandoned my children. And so, um, that external judgment and even my own ideas of what a, what a good mom is and what a good mom does, um, were so challenged during that time. And it took, um, again, lots of therapy and and working through to figure out that just like we box our version of god and our version of um gender identity and sexuality just because i mean just like we box all of those things in to um give us comfort and make us feel okay and you know whatever we do the same thing for things like moms and dads and and what that looks like in a in a family in a nuclear family or just Family. And so I had to widen and create a more broad definition of what it means to be a mom. And what does that mean for me personally? Somebody else can define it however they want to. But in the end, what matters is how I define that and what that relationship looks like between me and my kids.
1: Right on. I'm so glad you're speaking to this. I need to hear this. People who are listening need to hear this. We all need to hear this. Yeah, it's um, such a,
0: there's so much mom guilt in the world. I mean, we put enough mom guilt on ourselves anyways, but there's so much external mom guilt that, that, you know, goes into this role that until we're able to define what that looks like for us and be okay with that and know that you do your thing and what works for you, I'm so glad, but this is what works for me. Um, until we're okay with that, we're still going to feel that, that struggle and that turmoil. Um, and so it's taken me a long time and I'm still negotiating that for myself and for my kids. But, um, I know that if you asked my kids, um, about our relationship, they would tell you we have a great relationship. Like it's, I talk to my, my daughter, we FaceTime all the time. Still, she surprises me and flies to Dallas to see me sometimes. My son is super social. We have a great relationship, but he loves his friends, (laughs) which is great. (laughs) I love that about him too. But, um, so during my time in Chicago, you know, initially I was going to go there, get my degree, go back to Lubbock. And, um, I was going to be a support system for the LGBTQ community in Lubbock, um, I still hadn't fully stepped into the identity of being gay. I wasn't sure, and I still had some denial (laughs) to work through. Um, But during my time, you know, in that struggle before I left um, my university position in Lubbock and went to Chicago, I, you know, found this underground, you know, LGBTQ community in that Christian environment where it was a tier three violation to, you know, to exhibit any homosexual, anything non-heterosexual, you know, behavior or relationships. And so I had students who would come to me and ask, how do I navigate, um, how do I navigate social relationships in this environment where they tell me I'm going to go to hell where, how do I negotiate church? How do I negotiate the academic pieces, you know? And actually that was that one piece made it really was, was kind of the last piece that I needed to be able to let go at that university to be able to leave because I was afraid if I leave, who's going to be here to, to watch over and protect these students who they don't have a space yet to be able to step out. Um, and so how do I, you know, who's going to be there to help them recognize you need to fully embrace who you are and step into that. Even if you have to create some barriers and boundaries just to get you through this time while you're in school, Yeah, you know, um, but after talking to some of the ones and I told them about this opportunity, I mean, they said, go, go. And so that was like my permission slip to be able to leave that and go to Chicago. Um, And and my goal was to get my degree and come back and do something in the nonprofit world, um, you know, helping LGBTQ individuals in the West Texas area. However, once I got to Chicago and um, was out of all of the constraints that came from my West Texas conservative life, I truly got to step into my identity there. Because there wasn't, I was recreating myself in a new environment where no one had these preconceived notions of who I was. Yes. And it was so freeing and so amazing that the thought of going back and moving back to Lubbock was, oh, it would just give me anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. And I had this, this process that would, it it was really crazy how it worked where, you know, I was fully me. I was fully the new, new and improved gay Holly in, uh, in Chicago. And then every flight, something just, there was this transformation, internal transformation that happened from the flight Chicago to Lubbock where I drew back and, could and put those walls of protection up yeah. to prevent, um, the hurt and the pain that came with every visit that, um, you know, that I had there. And then going back to Lubbock, it's like, I mean, go, going back to Chicago, it would like, those would fall away again. And I, it was this, it was almost like this breath of fresh air. As soon as I saw the Chicago, like City lights from above flying in, and it 's like oh, okay i 'm back where I get to be me, yeah, and so I just at that point, about three three years in, I made the decision that i I couldn 't go back to Lubbock um, and then had to figure out, okay, what does this mean for my marriage, my kids my my life, my entire life? what does this mean mm-hmm.
1: Did your, did your ex-husband and your children know that you were gay in those years or was that still being kept from them? So, um,
0: my husband, I had, I had shared with him about the affair Mm -hmm. and, um, I told him that, I mean, so many tears, like hurting Ryan still breaks my heart to this day. Like the way that I dealt with that uncertainty and that identity, like deep identity crisis that I went through um, and the way that it impacted and hurt Ryan. Um, it, it's taken me a long time to even forgive myself yeah. uh, for that. But <clears throat> so I, I shared that with him um, and we started going to marriage counseling and, and you know, we tried that but I just, but you were still yeah. married
1: while you were in Chicago.
0: I was still married. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, and we had talked about, okay, if we're going to get divorced, we're going to let, let's just, let's make this an amicable divorce. We won't get yeah. lawyers. We'll just do the paperwork online and, you know, you know, do it that way. Well, um, I don't know this with certainty, but I'm pretty sure that people from the church started to, um, advise Ryan and basically tell him that, um, you know, if, if you're going to be getting divorced, you need to do it while she's there. You need to serve her with papers that way you have, like the kids are in, in your possession. She's there. So it, it, it creates a situation where, um, it's going to be harder for her to get custody of the kids. It's going to be, and again, I don't know, um, I don't have any, you know, hard information on that, but it, it, throughout our divorce process, Um, it seemed like the more he was connected to people at church who were attorneys or whatever the, the, um, I don't, the more difficult it became in terms of, of Ryan and I being able to work through things. So in 2015, um, I was in Lubbock and he surprised me by having papers served to me, divorce papers served to me when I was going to a doctor's appointment. So I, drove up to the office where I was going to go in for the appointment and was met with papers in the parking lot. And I was, I honestly, I was devastated. Um, I still wasn't ready to give up my marriage. I was still in the process of trying to figure all of this out. And, um, granted none of it was fair for Ryan. And so it, it happened the way it needed to happen, but I was, I just wasn't ready to give up my marriage. I loved being married to Ryan. I loved, um, I loved my family. I loved all of that. And so over the course that was in 2015, over the course of a year and a half, um, Ryan and I worked through all of the divorce stuff and our divorce was final in August of 2016. Um, five days after our 17th anniversary wedding anniversary. Yes. Um, But what's interesting is when Ryan and I worked through things together, we, um, like we were able to make decisions together and negotiate, you know, the financial part and how, what's, what's everything going to look like. Uh, we traveled to mediation, court mediation together in the same car. We traveled in the same car on the day we actually signed, uh, divorce papers, um, Ryan is, um, I'm incredibly, incredibly lucky to have, you know, this person, um, in my life and to be the father of my kids to work through this. We have a great co-parenting relationship. Um, it was in 2015 to get back to your question about the kids knowing. So Ryan, um, I mean, he knew, but he did, he was still trying to figure out how is this working? Like you were straight and we were, everything was wonderful. And now there's this relationship and this, like, I don't know what's going on. And, um, and so it wasn't until December of 2015 that I came out to my kids and it was, um, it was really hard. It was, um, it was really hard because, you know, I had helped raise them in this conservative Christian environment that I was trying to break free of and I knew wouldn't be accepting. And so my, I knew my kids had this belief system, you know, that this was going to be wrong. And, um, my daughter, Katie's very intuitive. She and I, um, we read like, I can't hide anything from that girl. Oh my goodness. Um, and so she knew without knowing, um, Like without having that definitive, yes, this is true, but she knew and she wasn't surprised. Riley, um, it's only been within the last year that Riley has um, finally been able to say to me, I just want you to be happy, mom. I love you. And if you're happy, I'm happy. Um, I may not agree with it, but I just want you to be happy. And so it's opened up the door for lots of conversations about God, about our faith, about, um, people, um, which has been really positive, really hard, (laughs) but really, really positive. Um, Katie came around much sooner than Riley did. She actually stayed with me and uh, my partner at the time for six weeks during the summer when I was in Chicago and she would come here and stay with my partner and I when before when we were together. Um, Riley, it wasn't until this last spring that he stayed an extended amount of time with me and um, my ex-partner. So yeah, so it's been a process of the kids like really understanding and um, trying to figure that out. I've been very open with them about my process and, you know, the affair that I had and that, you know, I didn't deal with this well. Um, And I was, really, um, sad for the hurt and the pain that I caused people in my life as I was trying to figure out, you know, all of this. Um, and there'll be lots more conversations. I, you know, I hope that my kids, um, I chose not to go back to Lubbock, um, because I couldn't live there anymore after living in the freedom that I had in Chicago, I chose to move back to, to Texas to be closer to my kids. Um, but I knew I couldn't go back to Lubbock. So that's why I came to the Dallas area. And, um, you know, during all of this, I chose not to fight to uproot my children, um, because they were so tied to their school and their friends and their, their life there that, um, one of the hardest decisions that I had to make was choosing to not Ryan and I share 50, 50 custody in terms of like the official paperwork that they live with him. And they, um, you know, I spend time with them at any and every opportunity that, you know, I have, um, but I just, I couldn't bring myself to uproot their life just because my life was being uprooted.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm just. I really want to celebrate you and honor you for the number, like the countless brave, scary, complex decisions that you've had to make. And just really say that you're such a beautiful role model for people being true to themselves and, and doing the work and digging deep. And it's just, you know, as you describe your relationships with your ex-husband and your children, it's like such a testament to how you've navigated these waters, even though I know not an ounce of it has been easy. No.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: And those are such
0: important, um, relationships. I actually, on the day that our divorce was final, um, I got a a tattoo of a tree on my leg that, um, has all four of our initials, Ryan, Katie, Riley, and myself, um, just as a reminder to myself and, um, to anyone who asks that, um, family is, is not a piece of paper. It's not, um, It doesn't, it cannot be easily defined, honestly. Like if you want hard, you know, um, structures or, uh, definitions, like there's just, there's not one. And, um, I have such deep love for Ryan, um, and for, uh, just the fact that he even will talk to me after like the crap that I put him through, um. I just have such deep love and respect for him, um, for the role that he's played in my life and continues to play for the dad that he is to my children. Um, and so I, I can't imagine not having that, you know, that piece. And I can't imagine someone saying that he's not, he's not family because you don't have that piece of paper or whatever, because it's, we will always be
1: family. Yeah. So beautiful and so inspiring. Holly, I know we're at time here and I just want to ask one last question, which Mm -hmm. is if I handed you a microphone and you knew that any and every woman out there who might be struggling or in a dark moment or a shattering moment or a moment of grappling with her own identity on whatever level that might be, what would you want her to hear? So many things, um, but
0: if I, you know, knowing I only have you know this little short piece to say something, I would just say that um, it's it's so hard and it's so messy and it's so not probably what any of us were taught life was supposed to be like. Um, but walking through it and moving forward and truly stepping into your authentic self um whatever that is whether you know it fits societal standards or church standards or your own like self-constructed standards um whether or not it fits that stepping in and owning who you are is so freeing and it's so hard but it is so worth it like like i mentioned before i had i have these moments still where i'm like oh my gosh i gave up my whole life um, for this and yes i did because this is this is who i was created to be and the world needs my authentic self without the walls and the facade and the pretending and the trying to fit in i was not able to give the world and give the people that i encounter um the best of me and what i was created to give until I was able to really step through this. And it's been hard, but it's so worth it. And the world needs women who can fully step into who they are, um, fight through all of those facades and, and barriers and whatever, and just be authentically them.
1: That's what the world needs. Thank you so much, Holly, for being here. I'm so touched. You're an amazing role model. And thank you for having the courage to walk your path and to share some of your stories with us.
0: Well, Thank you so much for letting me be here. I, um, I just feel honored to get to share
1: my story. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the women today podcast. If you liked this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and take a moment to leave a rating and a review. The more five-star ratings this podcast gets, the more easily women around the world will be able to access this valuable information. Remember we each have our unique role to play in this collective uprising for women all over the world. Whoever you are and wherever you find yourself in this moment, there is a deep intelligence to your particular place in the wider web, and we need the specific experiences, insights, and gifts that only you carry. I am sending you my heartfelt strength and support for wherever you are on the journey, and I'll look forward to connecting again next week.